wonderful out there. <laughs> and uh, can I borrow a corner of your table? And so I get to share with you today about science and the Bible. And uh, this is indeed uh, a freshman signature course that I teach at UT. Uh, my textbook is the Bible. In fact, I use a, uh, an excellent study Bible. It's about that thick. It's chock full of all the Bible verses, but uh, excellent study guide that really opens up uh, the content of uh, what is in the Bible, what the Bible is all about. Uh, it's my most favorite course I've taught. Actually, some freshmen. Maybe some of you all are here. That'd be a good question. Uh, I was given a lecture like this a few years ago to this group uh, about science in the Bible. And at the end of the lecture, some very precocious freshmen came up to me and said, we challenge you to offer a full course on this topic. And I had never, ever considered doing that until this freshman came right up to me and challenged me. And uh, <clears throat> so I went home that night, and I got a very, very strong leading from the Lord to really seriously consider that. And so I sat down, and the whole course just flowed out. I was typing on my computer, and... Uh, before I went to bed that night, I had designed the entire course. <laughs> Sometimes the Lord just moves and speaks, and there it all comes. And so uh, <clears throat> uh, you have to submit a proposal to teach a signature course. And so I submitted that proposal, and uh, it, it was approved. And uh, so I have a very uh, excellent time teaching that course. I'm teaching it right now. Uh, there's a lot of content to it, and uh, I have just a very short time tonight. So I'm going to give you about a 100 to 1 compression on the content. So you can fasten your seatbelts, and away we go. Now, there's an outline, uh, front and back, and then uh, verses on the second page. May I suggest you turn to the back side of the outline, there's a diagram, and uh, sometimes it's good to start at the end, uh, so you can know some uh, key issues. So I would like to make a few points that are at the out end of the outline to uh, put into a context everything else that I would have to say. Uh, and this is Roman numeral six, some general points. And it says, first of all, whatever you believe about this topic, and that is the topic is science in the Bible, which by most people, are considered to be like oil and water. Uh, they do not mix together, okay? Uh, they don't go together. They're opposed. 
to each other, one negates the other. Either the Bible is negating some some of science or some of science negates the Bible. That's people's general attitude. And many, many people hold their viewpoint passionately, okay? Uh, Especially in college campuses. Uh, Some of you may have uh, already encountered or have had interactions with other people like that. Well, whatever you believe about science and the Bible is unrelated to whether or not you are genuinely a Christian. Although I have encountered people who have said you have to believe their way or you can't truly be a Christian. And that's not really true. There are certain basic tenets uh, or beliefs that we all hold to as Christians. It's just a very small group, and that's all uh, that matters before the Lord and before other Christians as to whether or not you're a genuine believer. You believe that uh, you believe in God, you believe Jesus is God, you believe that he was incarnated, he lived as a genuine human being, same time he was God, on earth, Uh, eventually he died for our sins. Then he resurrected, overcame death, <clears throat> made nothing out of Satan, made Satan into a nothing, I should say, and he has ascended, and now he is the life-giving spirit. And as soon as a human being opens their heart to him, in he comes to the spirit, and that's how you're regenerated. Christians believe in the Bible, It is uh, God's genuine word, uh, directly inspired by him. And uh, beyond that, uh, there's not a whole lot of other things that you have to believe to be a Christian. And certainly, what you believe about science and Bible does not determine what your faith is. In fact, what I believe about science and the Bible is changing all the time. uh, Because... Uh, I'm learning. I'm learning more and more about the Bible. Uh, It's remarkable how much you can learn about the Bible if you use it as a textbook in a course that you teach. (laughs) That applies to any book you use in a course. But uh, it's a wonderful experience to have to dive deep, deep, deep into the Bible. And so I'm all the time learning more, getting more uh, insight uh, concerning the Bible, and uh, of course I learned a, a lot about science. I'm very actively engaged as a science uh, as a scientist. I teach biomedical engineering. I've had a big research lab for more than 40 years, and uh, to this day, I am very actively engaged in science. Uh, The last thing I did before I left to come here was turn in my most recent patent to the attorney to be filed with the the U.S. Patent Office. So I'm continually learning more and more about science all the time. So what I believe is changing. Our faith is constant. No changing to that. So You can believe anything you want to, and it doesn't affect whether or not you're a Christian. I I know other Christians who believe differently than I do about this, and I have wonderful fellowship with them. 
uh, with them. Uh, what you believe about this should not become uh, a barrier between yourself and any other Christian. Okay, uh, B, uh, the objective of my being here with you is I hope one of the outcomes is you could be secure and confident in your faith in Christ and the Bible. Uh, as I said, you may well encounter people uh, who are argumentative. And there is a certain segment of the population around this place who are uh, very skilled arguers. They can ar out-argue anybody. Does that make any difference? Absolutely not. It doesn't change reality one iota. It just says they have a strong soul and they can argue well. Uh, so even if you encounter somebody like that, uh, actually what I do if I encounter somebody who wants to be argumentative, uh, I just say, I have no heart, no heart whatsoever to argue about this topic and I leave them to their own. It's hard for them to argue with nobody else around. <laughs> so, basic line is, don't let anybody shake you in their faith, in your faith. Uh, it uh, just should not happen. Uh, <clears throat> if you have a problem, just get with your Christian companions. The room is full of them. Uh, one reason I have really enjoyed for over 40 years being associated with this group is that it is a foundation for mutual fellowship and shepherding. It is the stable environment for you while you're a student here. So if you're having questions, concerns, whatever, get with whomever you're related with here. That's, that's why this group exists, okay? It's the body of Christ manifested uh, amongst students at UT. Okay, uh, and C should go without saying, I do not want to give you a lot of facts that you can use to, be, uh, to win arguments. If you win an argument, uh, that pretty much automatically means uh, somebody else lost it, and a win-lose situation never is profitable. So uh, uh, you always want to have a win-win outcome, and that comes about just by fellowshipping together in the Lord. Okay, now you can flip back to the front. And so I'll share some things now concerning science and the Bible. And we're going to go zipping right through here. First of all, uh, undoubtedly, you've all taken some at least introductory level science courses. And you've learned what... Uh, the function of science is, and, and that basically is to understand how the physically created universe functions, what its history is, what is going on right now, how to predict what's going to happen in the future. Okay, Science does all of that, and uh, all those happenings are described by what scientists call processes. 
And scientists use uh, equations, and generally what those equations do is tell you when you do something to a particular system, how it's going to react. Okay. Here's a mass. There's not much in it, but anyway, there's a mass. <laughs> okay. So one of the most famous equations about a mass is that uh, it's always uh, under acceleration. Uh, that acceleration we call gravity. Okay, and so there's going to if I, if I let go of this mass, the acceleration of gravity is going to make it do what? Okay. And there was a force there that stopped it. Okay, so that's. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton, I uh, teach every year. In fact, I have a faculty appointment uh, position at the University of Cambridge in England. And so every year I take uh, students there and teach. In fact, one of them, Wendy, right there. She was with me in Cambridge, uh, what, two years ago? Two summers ago? Two classes ago. <laughs> You haven't forgot, right? <laughs> okay. So uh, our class is in the Department of Applied Math and Theoretical Physics, where the Sir Isaac Newton Institute is. And F equals MA is uh, one of the most famous equations about processes that occur. So that's what scientists do, to describe the processes that occur uniformly throughout nature. Fascinating. It's wonderful. It's exciting. I'm an old man. I am still learning, though, more and more about science. I enjoy uh, what science enables me to understand and appreciate about the workings of nature, and then I use that as a biomedical engineer to uh, invent medical devices. Now, science uh, relies on uh, being able to measure what's going on. Uh, typically, when you take your science course in your lab, you have to have what are called observables. In other words, you have to be able to make measurements. You have to be able to uh, either see with your eyes or see with instruments what's happening. That's how you describe what's going on during processes in science. And the knowledge or the truth of science has to be provable and reproducible. So that's the whole mindset of scientists. You've got to be able to prove what you're talking about. If you can't prove it, then it has no validity. And sometimes people try and translate that across to our Christian experience. You may hear, oh, if you can't prove your faith, then it's invalid. Well, that is an invalid argument. Proofs belong in the realm of science. They do not belong in the realm of our Christian experience. So those two don't mix. Proofs are totally valid and necessary in the realm of science, but that is different than the realm of our Christian experience. Okay, so we can uh, then uh, compare that with the Bible, okay? 
Science is very well established. We know lots and lots about it. Undoubtedly, a lot of you measuring in scientific uh, fields, gaining a real competency there, and that's great. Uh, to go in parallel with that, we have the Bible. The Bible is not a science book. We don't have the Bible to know how physics works. We don't have the Bible to know about cosmology. How old is the universe? Okay? Uh, <clears throat> that's not what the Bible is for. The Bible, A, tells us about the three P's. Number one, it tells us who God is. It tells us about God's person. And that's important. It's through the Bible that we really get to know God. Second P, God has a purpose. He had a purpose before there ever was a Big Bang and all this mass came into existence. Okay? That purpose pre-existed all time. And it's because of that purpose that everything came into existence. Science doesn't tell us about the purpose, but the Bible does. The Bible tells us very clearly God has a purpose. It has existed eternally. It's being worked out now by the third P, and that is God's plan. Okay? So we, from the Bible we know God's person, God's purpose, and God's plan by which he is achieving his purpose. And by the time you get to the New Testament, that plan is called God's economy. Greek word oikonomia. Uh, we'll look at some verses in a little bit about that. Okay, so make no mistake. When you open the Bible, you should expect to learn about God's person, God's purpose, and God's plan. If you try and find other things out from the Bible, uh, you're going to end up wandering off through the woods without a map, so to speak. Particularly in, in this realm of science and Bible, if you try and extract scientific information from the Bible, that's not why the Bible uh, was given to us by God. It's not so we could gain further insights about science. So we can get, it is so we can gain further insights about himself and what he is doing and what our involvement is. Because God's plan to achieve his purpose depends absolutely on man's cooperation, which starts with our receiving him as our life. And then once we do that, we live uh, individually and together collectively in his body according to his economy. Uh, <coughs> capital B under the Bible. Uh, I copied one of the, uh, I copied the first part of the first study note in the Bible I use in my class here. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, uh, superscript, study note 1. What, what does Genesis 1 1 say? Probably the most famous verse in the Bible. Who can tell me? Nobody can tell me what Genesis 1 1 is? 
Are you all qualified to be students here? Okay, I'm going to pick on Will. What is Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created. Okay. If y'all were cheering Will on, you probably couldn't hear what he said. In the beginning, God created what? Okay, you do know. I'm not totally discouraged. Okay, so this footnote says the Bible, composed of two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is the complete written divine revelation of God to man. When you get your Bible, realize what is in your hands. It is a complete divine revelation to you from God. The major revelation in the entire Bible, cover to cover, is the unique divine economy of the unique triune God. Okay, that's what you find in your Bible. Uh, so I give a little advice here. I'm allowed to do that because I'm a professor. <laughs> My advice is read your Bible and the footnotes regularly so you know what it says. Uh, that is something you can and should, according to my viewpoint, practice your entire life. I've been a Christian for about a half a century, and I still, when I get up, first thing, I read my Bible and I read the footnotes. Every day. I may be on an airplane flying somewhere, I may be who knows where, I am very hard-pressed to think back to a day when I did not do that. And I've been doing that for years and years. I read the whole Bible cover to cover every year. Uh, I know a bunch of you all are on Bible reading schedules together. One of the best things you can do. Uh, you should form some positive habits as a human being. And that is one of the habits you should have is the everyday you read your Bible. That way you are infused with God's person, God's purpose, and you can participate constructively in his plan. Okay, C. We're going to go zipping along here. The Bible is not intended to provide scientific information, such as the age of the universe. People try and extract that, but... Uh, it can very much cause some problems. Arguments. Uh, D, there's widespread cultural confusion about the Bible. Uh, a lot of people uh, think we have the Bible so we know how to get to heaven. Or we think they think we have the Bible so we have a list of rules by which we're supposed to live. Not so. That is not the central focus of what the Bible is. There's lots of uh, uh, <clears throat> very specific information located locally in all various sorts of uh, uh, places in the Bible, but the overview is, like I said, the three Ps, or if you go back to that first footnote, and as soon as you extract some little thing out of the Bible and take it to be, oh, this is what the Bible is all about, even though you extracted some little thing. 
uh, <coughs> you get distorted, out of focus, and off the mark. Okay, uh, Romans 3. Uh, both the scientific and biblical perspective about creation are valid, but they are different. Okay? Science stands on its own two feet. The Bible stands on its own two feet. They both have a valid way of understanding the creation. And they don't cancel each other out. Uh, there are many world-leading scientists who agree about this. I cite a couple who uh, have written books that I use in my course. One is uh, Stephen Jay Gould. Uh, he, unfortunately, is uh, deceased now. He was a professor at uh, Harvard University. One of the leading thinkers in the world in the realm of evolution in the uh, latter half of the 20th century. He was not a believer, he's agnostic, but he was a very genuine thinker, and he uh, did a lot of evaluation about this interface between science and what he called religion. And he uh, formed a theory, he wrote a book about it that I use in my course called, that has the concept that uh, both science and religion or the Bible have valid viewpoints for understanding nature and they do not cancel each other out. That's what that acronym NOMA means. He used an example that I like very much. He says, we have science, and I, I will say the Bible, that's my viewpoint, both are valid. When you put them together, they interdigitate. They don't cross each other out, they interdigitate at the interface. So science by itself gives you a very valid but limited perspective, the Bible gives a very valid, also limited perspective. The Bible doesn't tell you about science, okay? When you bring these two together, there is no conflict. They interdigitate, and you get a har harmonious, more complete and accurate picture of how everything fits together and works, okay? Leading scientific thinker in the world. Uh, said that, wrote a book about him. The other one is Francis Holland. He is the director of the National Institutes of Health, the premier medical research entity in the world. He is also a devout Christian. He wrote a book about his faith and about his science. He's the person that headed up the Human Genome Project. He is absolutely premier scientist. And so he states strongly in his book the validity of embracing both science accurately taken and uh, the Bible. Now, both the Bible and science uh, have been and continue to be distorted and misrepresented, and the result of that is supposed conflicts which are not real. If you read Stephen Jay's Gold, Gold's book, he has some very uncomplimentary things to say about people who push those perspectives. Uh, I won't repeat them, but they are written by highly authoritative people. 
Now, uh, Romans 4. There are two great mysteries concerning man that have not been answered by science. Science tells us a lot about uh, uh, how we are uh, constructed, uh, the life processes, and so forth. But man is unique in all of creation, and there are two features of man that science is simply unable to uh, provide any information on how we ended up the way that we are, that you find in the Bible are uh, understood in the context of God achieving his purpose. Okay, so uh, capital B, question is, where did in the time scale of history, and by the way, I believe science, when it says that the universe is 14 some billion years old, that fits just fine with the Bible. We have no time to get into that. There's no conflict whatsoever between what the Bible says and what science says about how old uh, the universe is, how old Earth is, about how all the species evolved over time and so forth. I mean, that's all fine. That can all fit into God's purpose and God's plan. Uh, <clears throat> if you want to ask me questions, we can do that later. But the question of question, or the question of two, is how did, bang, all of a sudden, the human species with the advanced capabilities, orders and orders of magnitude beyond any other species suddenly appear on Earth probably some tens of thousands of years ago. It simply cannot be explained by known scientific processes. Yeah, you accept evolution and so forth, but anybody that's honest about it and really knows about evolution, you, know, you pin them down, tell me, what are the processes that could have resulted in the human species suddenly appearing on Earth with all our creative abilities? Okay? Not only that, with the unique ability to recognize the existence of God and to have a desire to worship Him. What evolutionary process could have produced that? And so uh, the Creator, I think, if you go to Genesis 1, 26 through 28, says God created man in his own image after his own likeness, our body and our soul. Go to Genesis 2, 7, it says God breathed the Spirit into man. So God used the platform he had created through all the millions and millions of years and came in and made some marvelous, wonderful uh, additions. And here we have man, a tripart man with a body, soul, and a spirit. No other species has a spirit. So because of our spirit, we can receive God's light. And then God's plan is underway. So the Bible answers one of the two unanswerable questions uh, related to human existence. Uh, the third, excuse me, the second uh, 
<coughs> I've had two and I'm adding one more, but I've only done one. So the second unique characteristic of humans is what I'm doing right now. I'm using language. And humans have absolutely a unique uh, facility for communicating with language. And uh, maybe some of you are studying linguistics. It's a fascinating uh, uh, subject. And there's been a lot of work done about how language has evolved. But the question is, how did languages get started? Yeah. Only humans have the capability of language, but every human has to be taught how to use language. You have to learn how to use language from people who already do it. So if you go back, your parents, your grandparents, and bing, 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 eventually you're back to Adam. Okay. <laughs> And so the question then you can ask is, who taught Adam how to talk? And uh, there simply is not an answer to how language got started. But if you consider God's plan, how critical is language for that? I would say language is essential for God to fulfill his plan. The Bible is in language. How many languages have been translated to? Where's Jose Luis? Two and a half thousand or whatever? Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that verification. <laughs> okay, so it's by language that we know God. How do we communicate with God? Well, we pray. You pray without a language? Well, sometimes Romans says we can groan, but mainly we use words. How do we engage in fellowship? By language. How do you, in Romans 10, it says you have to hear about being saved so you can make the decision to receive the Lord. How does that happen apart from the language? What does John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the word. And, and that's not comprehensive. And so language is absolutely critical for God to achieve his purpose. Well, uh, again, I would say we go to the Bible. And here we can go again to Romans chapter 2, where God had man uh, in the garden. And he was giving instructions to man as to how man should live for his purpose according to his plan. That was that he should partake of the tree of life. Okay, so God, wow, God was speaking to man. God was giving man instructions. What does chapter 2 say? The very next thing is that happened. All the animals were brought before Adam and he gave them names. So God equipped man Again, this is not scientific process knowledge, but this is solving one of the great mysteries concerning humans, and that is how we got language. We need to have language so God can complete his purpose. So the Bible gives us some marvelous answers to the two major mysteries concerning man. Well, I believe my time is up, and uh, 
I have not compressed 100 hours into a half an hour successfully. In fact, I haven't got the whole way through the outline. And there are, there's a page of verses related to the diagram on the back. And I'm an engineer, so I like to draw diagrams of what I understand. And so there's two columns here. One column is, uh, or one box has got two columns in. This is the old creation. Okay, this is the physical creation. We can understand it from the side of science. We can understand it from the side of the Bible. On the side of the Bible, I got a lot of verses which are in the second page. But when people ask me about creation, I don't like to talk just about the old creation because in God's plan to fulfill his purpose, he brought about the new creation. And if you're a Christian, you're a part of the new creation. And the new creation is what fulfills God's purpose. Okay? There's a lot of verses there, but I think that I should wrap up. But I would be glad to entertain, first of all, from the floor, questions, if anybody has some. And, and then I'll be around for more personal time afterwards, if you would like. So, time for questions. Yes? Were there explanations, I believe, in science about how languages may have gotten started, maybe by people uh, using rocks to uh, communicate with each other? There have been all kinds of hypotheses presented by linguistic scientists about how language got started. And if you read the state-of-the-art literature by the leading thinkers in the world, they all say the same thing, we don't know. There's a lot of ideas or theories, but where is the proof? In science, you need proof, and the proof isn't there. Uh, you need data to generate a proof. Where's the data for that? I, it's unanswered. Okay, more. Ah, good. Okay, so what is the actual length of seven days, and uh, are you talking about how things happen physically? I would say uh, that you need to uh, get my study Bible and <laughs> read. Uh, there, there's a lot to explain there. Uh, but remember, we have the Bible to know God's person, process, and plan. So those seven days really present us a description of our experience as Christians. That is much more the focus than it is uh, a book on uh, cosmology and how all the physical universe evolved. Uh, 
We know from physics that that process required millions or even billions of years, okay? That really doesn't map onto the seven days. There are very, very different perspectives on the same thing, okay? Uh, we've made a huge amount of progress, particularly in more recent years with some of the uh, advanced uh, astronomical imaging tools, the, you know, the Hubble telescope and so forth. And so we've learned a huge amount about those uh, processes that um, describe what happened in the seven days. And then there's a lot of life processes also in those uh, seven days. And uh, so there's an awful lot of information and, and the uh, dating uh, on all of that just does not map well onto seven calendar days, which is how people tend to interpret that. Uh, <clears throat> but those seven days really are presented as a, uh, a window into our Christian experience. And I really do encourage you to get your hands on that study Bible. And if you need, you can talk to me afterward. Maybe you have one now. If you don't, I'll be glad to set you up. And uh, yeah, so the, the, the Bible shows us how to approach going on in our Christian experience with God. Is that a satisfying answer? <laughs> you have to be very careful about mapping things in the Bible onto science. Not many people try to map science onto the Bible. But lots and lots and lots of people try to map the Bible onto the realm of science, and it just does not fit. It's not congruent. Anyway, there was another question somewhere around... Ah, good. Well, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take what you've said, which is quite thoughtful, but difficult to talk about, and I will respond a bit. How's that? Okay. So, science is absolutely in the realm of observables, what you can see, and what you can prove. And uh, there's a verse on the sheet here, uh, If you look down under the first category, capital C, evidence, unseen, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, which says, we walk by faith, not by appearance, or that can be translated observation. 
so the realm of our Christian experience is explicitly contrasted to be a- absolutely different from the operation in science. And, and so the expectation in science for how things get worked out and become believable in science by observation, by reproducibility, you have to be able to reproduce your results. More importantly, other people have to be able to reproduce your results, okay? That whole realm of thinking is not applicable in the realm of our Christian experience because it is in the realm of faith, not physical observation. Okay? Uh, So, uh, one way to compare this is there was a very brief period of time when, uh, very, very short period of time, when the believers lived in the physical presence of the Lord Jesus after he resurrected. Okay? And the main thing he was doing when he would suddenly appear and be with them and all of a sudden he wasn't there and then all of a sudden he was there, that was a transition period so we could live in the invisible presence of the Lord. That's what this verse is talking about. We don't live by appearance. We live in the invisible presence of the Lord. Now, the Lord Jesus lives within us And in many ways, that is more real than the physical things that we uh, encounter, okay? There's much more of a foundational reality to our Christian faith that we can put stock in and trust in than all of the visible things around us. And people find that out continually. You don't trust in the visible stuff you can see because it lets you down your bank account or whatever. Okay, anything more? Okay. Okay, number one. Yeah, does the Bible say anything about the other planets? Sure. Uh, Sun, moon, stars also. Okay, so the heavens are given great... um, glory, you could even say, in, in the Bible. They're held up and respected very highly. Uh, some of the constellations are oh, mentioned. Stars. Yeah. Okay. But it's, it's there. Yeah. It's okay. not an astronomy book. But <laughs> okay? Then, um, Number two. I know this is, I can honestly, I guess, just look at this up, but I believe... Uh, the big thing, it's just a theory. It's not, they never, it's just a theory. Well, there's a lot of data that's been collected relating to the beginning of time. Okay? And uh, there have been a lot of independent approaches to try and, and measure that, uh, to uh, gather data that gives us information to understand that. And people at UT are some of the best thinkers in the world in that area. And uh, so we know an awful lot about it. Yeah, we can't go back to time zero, but we can get way, way back 
fact, one of the most famous books uh, ever written about that was written by a UT physics prof, Steve Weinberg, first three minutes. So uh, science can see that. The Bible doesn't try and give us the scientific information. It just says, in the beginning, God created. And uh, so in that act of creation, we know before then that God existed. There's a lot of verses uh, that tell us about God's existence uh, before time, before the creation. What science says is that there was a tremendously powerful condensed source of energy that became mass at a particular point in time, okay? Uh, that is not at all in conflict with what the Bible says. That condensation theory, was it proven, I guess, scientifically? Yeah, that uh, uh, drove a lot of Einstein's investigations. That's his corollary equation to Newton's F equals MA. Einstein says E equals MC squared. Okay, so energy, mass. Okay, are we done with questions? Okay, I'll let you have a repeat. And Okay, you do not become a Christian by studying. You become a Christian by opening your heart and asking God as life, as Christ, to come live in you. That's how you become a Christian. There's no other way. Being a Christian is not a matter of memorizing a bunch of verses or how much you've read or how much you've studied. It's a matter of do you or do you not have God's divine life living within you? If you want to know more, you can turn right around and ask Rodney who's sitting there. <laughs> okay, so uh, looks like we're done, but I shall hang around here if some more of you want to come up. That's how my course got started. Students came up and talked to me and said, hey, we're going to put our thumb on you to start the Science in the Bible course. Okay, I look forward to seeing you all around.